Welcome to the Sydney Ideas podcast series. Sydney Ideas is the University of Sydney's public events program, providing you with the opportunity to hear leading thinkers from our university and around the world. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, today's topic is my last book. I'm going to talk about it. It is uh, the title of the book is The Killing Orders, and this is one of the really most contested topic in Armenian genocide. Uh, the topic is mainly Turkish denialism, how Turkish government denies the Armenian genocide. And uh, with confidence, we can say that the Armenian genocide actually is an established fact and has taken its rightfully important place in, within the field of genocide studies. But despite this fact, one of the most unique features of the Armenian genocide is still its long-standing denial by successive Turkish governments. The main Turkish denialist argument was and has been that there was no central decision taken by Ottoman authorities to exterminate Armenians. Everything was a legal operation of resettlement. So uh, even though we, the scholars, published extensively on Armenian genocide and could easily, not easily, but with enormous work, could establish that genocide indeed occurred. But one of the major problems in our field was to have direct evidences that show clearly that Ottoman government had genocidal intent. And this was the reason Turkish government was always, this was the central argument of Turkish government. Whenever we claimed that it was a genocide, the argument of government was show us the documents for it. And uh, one important characteristic of Turkish denialism is that it has been also an inherent component of the genocide since the beginning of the event themselves. So denialism uh, did not start after genocide occurred. It was a part of genocidal process also, and I will give you some example of it. So the denial of the Armenian genocide began not in the wake of the event, but was an intrinsic part of the plan itself. Uh, this is an important topic for us scholars because the major question for us always has been and is, what is the truth? What is truth that we are talking about? And the relationship between facts and truth remains a hotly contested topic in the social science. And as a rule, we think facts, opinions, and interpretation are considered as different things. So as a rule, uh, they are separate from each other. And we would like to believe that the truth rests upon established facts over which there is a consensus, and as such, they are not the same thing as opinion or interpretation. We would also like to believe that the practice of denialism in regard to mass atrocities is a simple denial of the facts, but this is not true. Rather, there is a nebulous territory between facts and truth, and denialism germinates from that territory. Denialism marshals its own facts and its own truth. How they do it? Uh, the model that I used in that sense uh, was developed 
by an American scholar who passed away from Chicago University, uh, Michel Rolf Trullo. Uh, he wrote a very important book with the title Silencing History. And he developed uh, four stages, four moments to explain how silencing enters in historiography, in writing history. And first moment, he says, uh, in order to silence the history, you can also interpret this in order to uh, deny the historical truth, you have to develop your own facts. So he calls this the moment of fact creation, the making of sources. So you have your own sources. And the second important moment is the making the archive. You put all these facts that you put together and create your archive. And the third logical consequence of it, you develop your own narrative. You, develop, you narrate based on your own facts. And then this is in the moment four, what we call it then the making history the final instance. So you have the national historiography, how it emerges with its own facts, its own archival truth, and so on. Uh, this is what happened in Turkish case also. And I added an important fifth moment to what Trullo developed. And this has two important elements. Number one is the moment of destroying important evidence that is related to Armenian genocide. And the other is the proving the falsity of critical documents. So what Turkish government mainly did is a three stage operation. One, they created the, and assembled their own fact and archive. This is the first, I will give you some example how they created these archival original documents. And the second, they either hide or destroy the main bulk of documentary evidence that clearly showed the genocidal intent of Ottoman authorities. We almost know exactly what they destroyed. And uh, mainly, we have three set of documents. Number one, some of files of interior ministry are gone today. They are not available. How we know that? Because between 1919-1921, there was a military tribunal in Istanbul. After the war, Ottoman government lost the war. Ottomans lost the war. A new government came to power. And this new government started trying perpetrator of Armenian genocide, not because of altruistic purposes, because of the Paris Peace Conference. There was Paris Peace Conference in uh, Paris during that period, and the Great Britain and France made it very clear to Ottoman government that they have to do something against the perpetrator or those who committed crime during the war year if Turkish government wanted some positive result from the Paris Peace Conference. So they set up a uh, tri tribunal, military tribunal, and there were all together approximately 63 cases. They tried 63 different cases in Istanbul, and there were approximately 200 defendants, and 16 death penalty were hanged, and three individual, very low rank Ottoman officials were hanged during these trials between 1919-1921. And during this trial, there came out an intensive amount of 
documents and materials that showed clearly the intention of Ottoman government was to exterminate Armenians. There were direct killing orders or testimonies of high-ranking Ottoman military personnel or Ottoman bureaucrats, eyewitness account, and today we don't know where these military tribunal materials are. We guess that they are somewhere in military archive in Ankara, but they are gone. So this is the other important set of materials that is lost today. And the other important uh, documents that's gone, that's no, not there, these are the Teşkilat-ı Mahsusa files. What is Teşkilat-ı Mahsusa? This is really the, literally the translation special organization. It was established 1913 November, first for the purpose of uh, military operations outside Ottoman territories to instigate Muslim uprisings against Russian or British forces, established 1913 uh, November and was operational already during war years. And 1915, they were assigned with a special job to kill Armenian population. And they uh, were the main military, paramilitary forces that exterminate Armenians during the genocide. And the files about this special organization is gone. If you go and check the Ottoman archive today related to that special organization, you can find some appointments of some individuals or some salary issues with some certain individuals, but nothing else. It's gone. And uh, so this is the second important operation that the Turkish government did, especially 1918, October, November, just after war ended. And the third important uh, step that Turkish denialism implemented was to deny the authenticity of some of the available documents that indicated the genocidal policies. Of course, they couldn't control the entire documentation. Some of the uh, incremental evidences, some of the documents came to the light already just after the First World War, and they were published by an Ar uh, by some of these documents was published by an Armenian named Aram Andonian, and these were the materials given to Aram Andonian, to this Armenian, by a Turkish bureaucrat. I will tell more about the story of this Turkish bureaucrat and uh, Aram Andonian document. We call in literature this bunch of materials is published by Aram Andonian as Naim Andonian documents. These are direct, some of them are direct killing orders of Ottoman government or interior minister, Talat Pasha. And Turkish government claimed that these are fake and produced by Armenian itself. So based on this three-stage operation, Turkish government claimed until 2015-16 that there is no killing order, you can never show a killing order of the Ottoman government, and the entire operation was only a simple resettlement. And of course, Armenian passed away during that period. There were massacres, of course, but these were uncontrolled event of uh, the time. Uh, Ottoman government could not control the Kurdish mountains, and these were mainly some selective action of the population on the ground, and it has nothing to do with Ottoman government. 
So the, here are a couple of examples for you how they created the, uh, some of the materials. Uh, we take April 24, 1915 as the beginning of Armenian genocide. The reason is that on that very day in Istanbul, approximately 200 Armenian intellectuals were arrested by Ottoman authorities. And these intellectuals from Istanbul were sent to Ankara, two different provinces. Ankara is the capital city. I'm not uh, giving the name of this prison. Uh, it's uh, complicated for you. Uh, two prisons around Ankara, 200 uh, Armenian intellectuals were sent to these prisons. And over the summer months, they were taken from the prison in group, four or five, and taken, brought all the way to Diyarbakir. This is the Aleppo and the area southeast of Turkey, and on the way they were exterminated, these intellectuals. This is what we believe. This is our version of history. But there is other truth. This is what I'm talking about. Here is a document for you. This is from 1915, the document. And according to this document, uh, four Armenian individual, Malumyan Agoni, it's written Actually, it is the Agnuni, the Armenian Dashnak student leader, the leader of Armenian Dashnak student party in Istanbul, and some other intellectual. According to these documents, they escaped to Russia. When we were taken from the prison for their trial to Diyarbakir, they, are, uh, they escaped, they managed to escape, and they survived. So this is an original Ottoman document from the year 1915. Another very important case that I want to introduce you related to an Armenian deputy, Krikor Zohrab. He was a very well-known Armenian intellectual, very close friend of inter Turkish Interior Minister Talat Pasha. He was not arrested on April 24. He was arrested towards end of June, beginning of July, and he was taken to Diyarbakir, again from Istanbul all the way, and he was in Aleppo. From Aleppo, he was taken to Urfa, and he was killed on the way after the city of Urfa towards Diyarbakir. This is what we believe. We say that Kirikor Zohrab was, um, was killed during this travel. But here, a document for you. This is a doctor report from the uh, from a doctor, doctor in Urfa, the city of Urfa, and he says that in, his, in this report that he treated uh, Zohrab in Urfa and he discovered some heart problem. He gave him some medicament and then he heard that Krikor Zohrab passed away and he was taken to the place and he saw the body on the ground and he checked and he said that he passed away as a result of heart attack. So this is the doctor report. And you would think that oh, Turkish government created this material for their own uh, sake of history. But we have another testimony. This is the testimony of Urfa Armenian church priest, Father Hayrabet, uh, from July 20, 1915. And the testimony describes how Father Hayrabet had been called to the scene where the disease was found, how the doctors examined the body, determined that Zohrab had died of the heart attack, and how then Zohrab had been buried according to the appropriate religious customs. And you can think, oh, this might be maybe forcibly created uh, document, but here's another third document. 
uh, this is a letter, uh, this is an order sent by Interior Minister Talat Pasha to the province of Aleppo, and in that document, original Ottoman document, it says that uh, Zohra passed away as a result of an accident, and also we know that the Zohrab's wife in Istanbul was informed by Ottoman government that her husband died of a heart attack, and on July 21st, 1915, an official statement was published in the daily newspaper. So we are in Sydney, and Dirk Moses gave a homework to one of his students, saying that, go and look in the archive about Krikor Zohrab. And you go to archive, you find all these documents, these are original Ottoman documents, and it clearly says that Krikor Zohrab passed away as a result of an heart attack. Do we have much document about how he was killed? Not so much. So this is what I mean, denialism creates its own fact, and it creates its own truth. So the, uh, what is the truth, the question, cannot in that sense only answered by the documents. Of course, it is important the, to find the real truth, but we, the reason what I'm mentioning is truth does not have the power all the time. There is a direct relationship between power and the truth. As long as we cannot make our truth that has power, the powerful one, the denialist argument will also survive over the years. So this is one important issue and, uh, that I mentioned in my book. And Turkish government never used these materials. We were very lucky in that sense. The reason is because the murderer of Krikor Zahrab was a guy who started talking too much. He became a problem for Ottoman government, and he was arrested, and he was hanged. So Ottoman government blamed him to kill Krikor Zohrab, so it became the official narration beginning of 1916. So these are but in the archives still, so you can find these documents. It shows us how truth and power really interrelated with each other. Second important aspect that I talked about, the destroying of the evidences. And I will give you here one example, how, what the destruction looks like. During the military tribunals in Istanbul, 1919-1921, Ottoman government published the indictments and verdicts of the tribunals in daily newspaper. Ottoman official gazette. This is an example of Ottoman official gazette. This is the main indictment in Istanbul. And the first session, this indictment was read in the first session, April 28, and published 5th May 1919. This official gazette is available for every scholars. And you may have heard uh, the Wahakan Dadrian, the leading scholar in Armenian genocide field, he basically brought all these verdicts and uh, indictments to light and he made that known in English language also. In 
the main indictment, there are two import, there are so many important incriminating evidences. It is they were quoted by public prosecutor. I give here only two examples. One is a telegram from an individual named Bahadin Shakir. He was a doctor and he was the central committee member and he was the leader of this special organization that I was talking about. And his job was to coordinate the killing operation against Armenians. And in this telegram that the indictment mentions, uh, Bahattin Shakir sends this telegram to, from the city where he is to another city and asking, are the Armenians being dispatched from there being liquidated? Are these troublesome people you say you have expelled and dispersed being exterminated or just deported? Answer explicitly. This is a clear killing order operation of the, how the killing should be done. And the second important telegram is a telegram from the third army commander. Third army commander sends a circular towards 24th July 1915 and he says in that circular, those who have been hiding and maintaining Armenians in opposition to government orders be hanged in front of their properties and their properties burned to the ground. The reason of this circular was a lot of Muslims were hiding Armenians in their houses. And it was a problem for the entire deportation and killing process. And this is the reason that they sent this circular to all uh, provinces and then it is used as an evidence in the indictment. What is the denialist argument, Turkish denialist argument? Since we know these materials more than 40, 50 years, denialist argument was, how should we trust the public prosecutor? How shouldn't we know that these are original? How should we know that? Then show us the original. Where is the original? As long as you cannot show the original, so these are not reliable sources. This was the main really denialist argument until publication of my book. Second important uh, operation that the Turkish government did was uh, related to some of the documents published by Armenian named Aram Andonion. I mentioned Aram Andonion bought a notebook and some original documents from an Ottoman bureaucrat, Naim Efendi, 1918 in Aleppo, and then published these materials in a book form in 1921, Metz The Great Crime, and there was also a French and English translation of this book. And the book has the memoir written by this Ottoman bureaucrat Naim Efendi, actually it is not a memoir in the sense you think, it is a handwritten copies of Ottoman telegrams. Naim Efendi was an official working in deportation office in Aleppo and he handwrittenly copied 52 telegrams and additionally 26 original telegrams he gave to Andonion, and eight of these 52 telegrams were direct killing orders, exterminate Armenians, was saying. And Turkish government published a book in 1983. This is the cover of Turkish book. It is an English translation also, saying that 
all these memoir and the documents mentioned there in that book, they are all forgeries and produced by Armenians. This is one of these killing orders that I'm talking about. Uh, this is a telegram came from uh, Istanbul to Aleppo. And this is a coding system, three-digit coding system. Of course, they used coding system to communicate with each other. And the Ottoman official in Aleppo decoded all these telegrams. And Naim Efendi, of course, read the, uh, wrote down the exact text of this telegram in, the, in his memoir. And the telegram says the committee, the government party, had decided to completely annihilate all Armenians and says that no matter how tragic the methods of annihilation might be, without listening to feelings of conscience, their existence, Armenian existence, must be ended. And as I said, there are eight killing orders this kind, original Ottoman materials published by Andonian and Turkish government claimed 1983 that these are all Armenian forgeries and they have their own explanation that I'm going to talk about also. So this is another killing order. It says destroy the children in Aleppo and the areas. So this is how Turkish denialism operated until 2015. And the main argument was always show us the original. So you can, as long as you cannot show us the original documents that contains the killing order, we cannot accept that Ottoman government had genocidal intent. And there are some serious scholars really worked in that direction. One of them is Günter Levy, and he published a book in 2004 saying that no original records from Istanbul military trials, so no authentic documentary evidence exists to prove the culpability of the central government of Turkey for the massacre 1915. It is safe to say that no such evidence exists for the events 1915-16. So Turkish government hides or destroys the material, and serious scholars comes as long as we do not have the original, so we cannot make the case, so there is no genocide. And what about the Naim Andonian document? Yeah, these are questionable documents created by Armenians. And this is how the entire denialism mechanism works. And in 2005, Levy was invited by the Speaker of House uh, to Turkish Parliament, and he received a medal for his successful book, disproved the genocidal argument. So this is how really everything fits with each other. So my really killing order, my book is about all these arguments, denialist argument of Turkish government. It, is, it destroys the most important Turkish argument. So because I published in that book original of some of the records pertaining to the military tribunals in Istanbul, and which were uh, assumed gone forever. And I also published in that book the memoir of Ottoman bureaucrat Naim Efendi that is killing order issued by Talay. So the book removes the corner store from the denialist edifice and further establishes the historicity of Armenian genocide. I think this is the significance of my last book. Let me give you a couple examples. You remember these two telegrams that 
uh, was published by the main indictment by Turk Ottoman government 1919, and denialists were always asking, show us the original. So what I did, I showed the original in my book. And it is really a topic of a movie, how I discovered these documents. These documents are available now for everybody on online because an Armenian priest with the name of Krikor Gergerian filmed most important materials from this military tribunal and how it happened is the following way. During the tribunals in Istanbul, the judges allowed Armenian patriarchate to represent the Armenians during the court. And according to Ottoman law, Armenian patriarchate as representative of Armenians during the court proceeding had the right to get the originals or copies of the documents, which Armenian patriarchate did. And when the Turkish nationalists took over Istanbul, 1919-1920 October, uh, November, the Istanbul patriarchate sent all these original materials to Europe, first to Manchester, and the materials ended up from Manchester to Marseille, and from Marseille ended up in Jerusalem, Armenian Patriarchate, where they are now. And Armenian Patriarchate archive in Jerusalem close to scholar. We don't know the reason why they are doing it. It is closed. I tried over the years, and a lot of other scholars tried to get an access to this material. They never allowed the scholar to look into these materials in Armenian Patriarchate in Jerusalem. But Krikor Gergerian was a Catholic priest, and they allowed him around 1965 to look these materials, and he filmed almost all important material from this Jerusalem archive. And it was his private archive. It was also kind of semi-close to scholars, and in 2015, his nephew, Edmund Gergerian, allowed me to look into this material. This is the story, how I got hand on this material. I knew him when I first went to United States, 1999 and 2000. I called him, I met him in New York, and I asked him to give me access for this material. He denied. And 2015, when I was the speaker on the Times Square for the Armenian Genocide 100th anniversary, I called him again and said, do you want to take all this material to the grave with you? Finally, it's 100 years, allow me to look into them. This is what he did, and so you can see these materials here. This is the telegram, original telegram that I'm talking about, from Bahattin Shakir, as director of Teşkilat-ı Mahsusa. So it is also written on the uh, document that he is the director of Teşkilat-ı Mahsusa. And uh, it is sent to a province, today we call the province Elazığ, in old days, it was called Harpert. And this is the, one of the Armenian uh, important province of Armenians. And there are two important issues on this telegram. So, of course, it's directly asking whether Armenians are already exterminated or were sent to where else to be exterminated. Number one, of course, the official letterhead of this document, as you see, this is the Ottoman Interior Ministry's letterhead. So you cannot dispute the authenticity. 
There is another important part of this uh, document, which then this actually my contribution to the research. This is the reason why New York Times called me 2016 Sherlock Holmes of Armenian Genocide. It was because of this document, actually. As you see, the document has four-digit coding numbers here. And these coding numbers equal for certain terms or suffix ending or for plurals. And this is the Ottoman government's coding system during the war years. And just some examples, the word deport, for example, coded with 4889, and the word sir, 2469, the word Armenian, 8519, or the first personal possessive suffix, uh, this is im in Turkish, 7749, and plural ending 9338. Just one more additional information, Ottoman government changed this coding system on a yearly basis. For example, Armenian in first year 1915 was 8519, the other year it was 9158. They changed, they played the number, any other numbers. So I worked in Ottoman archive approximately six months and checked all available documents from the month July, August to see whether this coding system was used by the Ottoman authorities during that. This is my discovery. This is the Sherlock Holmes part. This is an Ottoman document you can find today in Ottoman archive. It's available for everybody. And as you see, this is the term Ermeni, and it says 8519. And uh, two times in that document, it's hard to see, but this is 8, this is 5, this is 1, and this is 9. So. This is an Ottoman document today available in Ottoman archive. And on the other side, you have the Bahati Shakir's telegram. As, as you see, it is also the same 8519, the same coding system. And I went through the archive, and I discovered that Ottoman, I have to add, this is a very harmless document. It doesn't say anything. I mean, he talks about the deportation and so on, some technical issues. It's not an incriminatory evidence, actually but it shows that they used the same technique, the same coding system. And I went through, I'm jumping all these, I discovered that it's not only for one word, Armenian, but for all other words that I could find in the archive, exact the same. This is, for example, the word deportation, Sevk 4889, it is the same in that document. So I'm jumping to save some time, uh, you can, See in the book, I published side by side the Ottoman original documents from the Ottoman archive. This is the original one, and this is the Bahati Shakir telegram. This is the plural ending, and this is the other telegram that we were talking about, that the, uh, the circular of the third army commander where he was talking about uh, whoever saves an Armenian in his house, his house will be burned down and he will be hanged in front of the house. And this is, again, from the court record with the Ottoman letterhead. And uh, clearly, it's the original Ottoman material. They were asking originality of these materials. So this is what I did in my book. So one of the important arguments of Turkish 
denialism, the political argument that there is no original document that shows the genocidal intent of Ottoman government is gone in that sense. And the second important point was, uh, the, or, uh, the, was related to this book uh, that I mentioned about. And in my book, I extensively work on these Naim and Donion materials. I have to jump. Let me show you these materials. These are the documents was published by Andonion in 1921 in his book. As you see, this is a two-digit coding system. And this is another two-digit coding system originally. And this is a three-digit telegram. The difference between both telegrams is very obvious. On the three-digit number, you have the letter here. This is, it shows that decoded. The simple is because these are the telegram in Aleppo. Naim Efendi turned over these telegrams to Andonion. This is an incoming telegram from Istanbul. This is the reason that there is a decoding on the Arabic three-digit numbers. They decoded the telegram. And there is no decoding here. Very simple, because these were outgoing telegrams. So the, in the receiving end, you have two-digit telegrams like this in this format, and it is also decoded. So this is how uh, Andonion published these materials. These are the other materials. Uh, just to give another technical detail, it's very important. When a clerk or official decodes all these three-digit numbers, then the other member turns these into a normal text. The telegram, then it became a normal text, and they put in front of the governor in every office. Then the governor reads this telegram and the order. It's coming from Interior Ministry. It is the date here. And at bottom of the uh, telegram, Interior Minister, as you see, the handwriting are different. Interior Minister writes what to do with this document. Send these to deportation office or send these to the police directorate and so on. And then he signs the document. So this was the document published by Aram Andonion in his book. And three main arguments was made by Turkish government 1983. When they published the book, they made three important arguments. Number one, an Ottoman bureaucrat by the name Naim Efendi did not exist. They said, Aram Andonion, the Armenian, he made it up. Because we went through the entire archive, we looked all personal records in the interior ministry, we couldn't find any individual the name Naim Efendi. It's gone. And the second important argument, you can't have a memoir for someone who didn't exist. It makes also sense. And the third, uh, telegrams are claimed to be forgeries based on 12 ground. So before talking about these 12 arguments, I have to give following information what makes Turkish argument very strong. Aram Andonion, who had these materials, published 1921, in, then went to Paris. He put all these materials in a library in Paris. It's an Armenian library, Bogos Nubar Library. He became director of that library. Actually, the materials should be there today, but they are gone. We don't know where these materials are. It's a mystery for the Bogos Nubar Library today. But thanks God, this Catholic priest that I, am talk I was talking about, Krikor Gergerian, 
He went to Paris, 1951, we know the exact year, because Aramandonian was alive during his visit to Paris, and he filmed all these materials given by Naim Efendi to, the, uh, to Andonian. And this is how I received, I was able to see the memoir and other related materials. The arguments are very important to know. This shows how denialism actually works. One of the, the I've summarized these 12 arguments into five major arguments. They argued that the dates on some of the records are wrong. If I go back, they, you see here the dates and the signature. And the, one of the arguments was on some of the documents, the dates was before the government's appointment there. The governor with the signature, he was appointed there November 1915. And in one or two documents, the uh, dates are from September. Then the argument was a governor who was not in um, can, uh, office, he cannot sign a document. Second important argument related to the numbers of the document. As you see on top of this document, this is a number given for this special document. And the argument was the number that is given to this document and the date are not equivalent with the numbers and the dates that we have in interior ministries incoming outgoing ledgers. This is a very bureaucratic procedure and this argument makes a lot of sense. Every office has a ledger and they, if they send an outgoing letter, they put a number on it and the date and they re re record on the book and when Another document comes, they put also a date on it, a number on it, and the date. So these ledgers are there because Turkish Historical Society, when they published this book, 1983, they published some pages to prove that the dates and the number are not equivalent with the incoming outgoing date numbers of the Interior Ministry. These ledgers that they published some facsimiles in their book, is not available for scholars. They don't give us this material. So this is other important information for you. So this was the second important uh, argument. And the third argument uh, they made, the signatures on the documents are forgeries, especially one attributed to governor. So the one important claim was this signature were all forgeries. These are not signature of the Ottoman governor, and they published in book some signatures of Ottoman governor. They found some other signature, and they put both signature next to each other. They said, as you see, this is not the document. This is not the governor's signature. It is also fake. And the last important uh, argument, they said the record the documents consisting of group two and three, I saw, showed you three-digit and two-digit number, they said they are completely falsified because during those years the codes consisted of four and five-digit numbers. Very strong argument. And 
after this book was published in 1983, all critical scholars, including myself, we never touched Naim Andonian documents. We considered the argument were very strong, and in 1980s, 1990s, it was not possible to have a easy access to Ottoman archive and to check the authenticity of these arguments. And since 1983, the scholarly world really thought there is something fishy with these Andonian materials. It's better not to touch them. We never use them in our scholarly work until I worked in Ottoman archive after I discovered the memoir. So what I discovered is Naim Efendi was a real Ottoman official. I discovered Ottoman documents, but actually the honor does not go to me. It's really to Turkish military archive. I will give the example. Second, Naim Efendi wrote a memoir. I have an image copy with the Ottoman Turkish handwriting. And there is documentation in the Ottoman archives which corroborates the events and individuals mentioned in the memoir. And the most compelling argument with the coding system, we all thought, oh my God, how meticulously they really wrote this book in 1983, that the coding system with two-digit, three-digit, it was never used by Ottoman authorities. Ottoman government used only four- and five-digit number coding system and so on. I discovered that this is all, I'm sorry for the expression, for BS. It's they made up. Because archive was not available, archival material to scholar, they really created certain legends. And since you cannot access the archive and prove these, you thought these are very strong arguments. So in my book, I really teared apart all these arguments. This is actually what the book all about. And this is a document published by Turkish military archive that clear uh, this is Turkish military archive in 2005 from 2005 2007 they published eight volume on the Armenian activities in the archive documents they call it and this is the volume seven and the volume seven related to materials of a criminal investigation in Maskene camp this is the concentration camp Maskene, and in 1916 summer month, we know that from Aram Andonian's, uh, Aram's memoir. He says that I arrived Maskene 1916 January, we bribed the Ottoman officials, and we could escape from Aleppo, to, from Maskene to Aleppo. During that period, really the bribery, the corruption was so high, the Ottoman authorities had to stop the deportation process. And the governor of Aleppo asked Ottoman government to send an investigation committee to solve this corruption and bribery. Because the main aim was to deport Armenians from Aleppo all the way to Derzor to exterminate them. And because on this way in Maskene, Ottoman bureaucrats were taking bribes from Armenians and the Armenians were escaping back to Aleppo. And Indeed, Ottoman government sent an investigation committee, and investigation committee prepared a report and a lot of materials, and these were published by Turkish military archive in 2007. And guess what? 
we have Naim Efendi here. The testimony of Hussein's son, Naim Efendi, from Silifke, married the former dispatch officer at Meskene. This is what Andonian was saying. He met Aram Andonian at Meskene as a dispatch officer. And this is how I discovered the existence of Naim Efendi. And also uh, some other documents also, but important is this is the memoir of Naim Efendi that I published in my book. And also I extensively worked in the Ottoman archive for one important question. So we have the Naim Efendi, we can show that it exists, and we have the memoir, but in his uh, book, not in his book, but in his memoir, Aram Andonion says that Naim was someone who enjoyed gambling and was accustomed to taking bribes, and he was an alcoholic also. So the every scholar or every individual would ask, since Naim Efendi knew that the Armenians were in search of documentation of the massacres, couldn't he have created and made up the events in his memoir and the documents also in order to earn some money? And this is what I worked in Ottoman archive because Naim Efendi, when he handwritenly copied some Ottoman documents, in between he wrote something what he could remember about these events. And I don't want to go into detail. I will give an example and uh, finish my talk. This is one of these issue, uh, events. In his memoir, this is the, from his memoir, without giving us any documentary evidence, in between some documents he says, I remember that a telegram came from Talat, from Istanbul, an interior minister, an interior minister was ordering Armenians with the name Dishchekenyan, Hazarabedyan, Toros Chalasyan, and Leon Amiralyan. These were Armenian from Marash province, wealthy Armenians, and they were relative of Armenian deputy from that province. And it's a, another story, but Talat mostly allowed Armenian deputies, relatives, to be unharmed, to stay where they are. And he sent these tele. He, then, according to Naim Efendi, Interior Ministry ordered that these Armenians should stay in Aleppo. They should not be sent further anywhere else. And he continues in his memoir. But despite this clear order, the governor sent these Armenians to Derzor, the Auschwitz of Armenian genocide, and they were killed on their way. I discovered the document in Ottoman archive. This is the interior ministry's order that Naim Efendi was remembering in his. It says exactly the same name, Dishchekenyan, Amiralyan, Hazarabedyan, and so on. So I made a list of 10 events that Naim Efendi was talking in his memoir without giving any documents. And I recreated these 10 stories that happened exactly as Naim describes. This is in my book. So in my book, I recreated the stories. I showed that Naim was telling us the truth. He was not making it up anything. And lastly, what I did in the archive, I worked on these coding systems. This is the, it, it was maybe the most complicated part uh, 
and I discovered very important finding. One is very interesting. This is Turkish government's argument 1983. It says in the book 1983, one of the documents, you see here the document, has been written on a double-lined paper which lacks any kind of official insignia. It resembles the kind of paper used in calligraphy classes in French school, and it would be inconceivable that this kind of paper would have been sourced for official communication in Ottoman offices. Therefore, the document is fake. So since we could not access the Ottoman archive, we thought, oh my god, this is a very strong evidence, so it's, it might be true. But what I discovered that the truth is just opposite. Ottoman government was regularly sending orders that the local officials should send their, write their telegrams on lined paper. The logic is very simple. The government says, since there have been instances of error being made, because the lines are mixing up, so in order to prevent these sort of errors and unnecessary communication on this, consider this to be noticed to have the codes placed on lined paper before being sent through telegraphs. And this is from an Ottoman document, and I published at least 10 of them in my book. So actually, lined paper was a proof of the originality of these documents, not the uh, falsity. And it was the same with the coding system. The, in their book, as I mentioned, they said that two-digit, three-digit uh, groups was never used in Ottoman archive. They, one of the strongest arguments that, hey, Ottoman government never used two-digit, three-digit coding system. And since we were not able to have an access in the archive, we thought, yeah, it's a strong argument. But here, these are all from Ottoman archive with two-digit, three-digit. So I went through all these coding system arguments. At the end, it turned out they were extensively used by Ottoman government. And one more maybe important element, this two-digit coding system was used by which office? Can you guess? It is the deportation office. There is a strict order of interior minister says that the deportation office should only use two-digit numbers. This was the reason why Naim could only give two-digit coding system to Andonia. So at the end, the bottom line is, uh, Maybe let me show this also. I'm jumping all this. Bottom line is, if Turkish government believes that these materials of Naim Efendi forge or fake, there is one simple thing to do. This is the coding book, official coding book of Ottoman government. As you noticed during my talk, I mentioned two-digit number, three-digit coding system, four-digit and five-digit coding systems that changed every year. And this is a book on three-digit coding system from 1914. So where is or where are the coding books for 1915, 16, 17, 18, 19? that are not in the archive. We don't have them. Because this is how Ottoman bureaucrats read the documents. You send a material to a province, and it ends in this way, without any decoding on it. This is, and then, because they had this booklet in their hand, they opened the booklet, and 
then decode these five digit, four digit, whatever they had according to this uh, book. And then this is how we could also able to read these materials. And this is coincident I discovered in the archive. And uh, there is nothing, we cannot read this document. We don't know what it is. But the Turkish authorities in the archive, they know. They made a summary of this document. This is the reason that I ordered this document. It's an interesting document. This is related to Makkah, 1916. British uh, forces bombed the city of Makkah there, and so on. This is they made a summary. I said, oh, I should take a look. And the document came, nothing. And you can only read if you have this, of course, notebook in your hand. So this means they have all these notebooks in the archive. And if they really believe Naim's material given to Andonian are fake, they should simply publish these notebooks. Since they don't publish this material over 100 years, it shows clearly that the Naim Andonian's material are authentic. So thank you very much for listening. Thanks for listening to the Sydney Ideas podcast series. For more information about our upcoming events or to listen to more podcasts, head to sydney.edu.au forward slash sydney underscore ideas.